Let's rock it out. Here we go. Episode 026, Josh Gordon, the one and only. We pulled up this song because we think this is you. This is how you do it. You, uh, Dude, when you lock on to something, it don't matter what people do, you're going to do it. You're going to get her done. I love that about you. I'm honored. It's, it's a great track. Such a great, great song. Epic. It's one of my... It's probably my number six album. It's in Desert Island albums. Yes. Yeah. It's definitely top ten. Yeah. So uh, we got some really killer rum here too that we only share with our favorite guests. Oh boy. <laughs> When's their, when are they getting here? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, you're welcome. Yeah, this is a great track. Gone too soon. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Shane, you got something poured up there? I would love some. Okay, here. Sure. I'll just take the whole bottle. Here's your grog. (laughs) I think it's the same stuff that's in Yes. Well, so, Josh, talk about Full Spectrum Marketing, the business you run, CEO. Give us a little, you know, background. So, I took the business over about seven and a half years ago, and uh, it was a fledgling agency that was glommed on to a a larger media company Uh and they were doing that thing where you know you sell newspaper reps were going out and selling that guy who bought that one by one ad in the obit section for 25 years selling him a website for two thousand bucks and then that newspaper rep would get all what was supposed to be on the website on a piece of paper, mm-hmm. and they would take it up to their sales manager who would send it to a company in Wisconsin who would send it to developers in Brazil. Mm. And then they would make the website, and they would pass back through that chain. And you can imagine how pleased the <laughs> right. company was on the front yeah. end you yeah. know, when they finally got it done. So great. I paid uh, $2,000 for like a $37 website. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't working the way it could work. And, you know, I give the, the family that runs the holding company credit because they recognized that there was another way to do this. Uh, but they just didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And the guy who was CFO at the time of the larger holding company, he and I had had a relationship from several years ago where we'd worked together on an agency and kind of helped to, to transform it from a people processes and operations standpoint. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a good experience doing that. We'd both kind of moved on after we had done that. But he had given me a call that he was involved with this thing and would I want to take a look at this you know, business and see if I could have a different angle on it. That's great. And uh, I'm, I'm very glad he did. And uh, I had to go and sort of spell out my plan for what it would look like. And they thought it looked pretty good. So I took it over April 27th of 2015. Awesome. Yeah. And then when, so when did we, when did we start working together? Well, then there was the period, the dark period where I didn't know Mark Whitmore yet. <laughs> That's what it's referred to as. Yeah, uh, the dark ages, huh? Well, I mean, it was uh, a real startup operation. Yeah. I mean, there were three of us. Mm. And, uh, you know, so we made... Oh, just all kinds of mistakes. I made all kinds of mistakes as a leader, um, you know, just trying to do the next right thing and, and learning by trial and error what the next right thing was. Um, and then, you know, we had breakfast in 2018 and you turned me on to this idea of traction, which, which um, you know, is a good concept, but not certainly the only way to do it. Uh, but that, that helped uh, bring a lot of things into 
clear focus yeah. uh, for us. Because you know what I didn't know really how to do was articulate the vision I had for the organization. I knew where I could get it from what it was to something better, yeah. <laughs> right? But it took some time. For me to go, okay, well, I kind of know, you know, what I want this thing to be. And, you know, what we are now, we have a full creative department, a full web department, a full digital marketing department, an account team that does PR and media buying, sitting in the middle of all of that stuff. And then senior level people that are involved in strategy and, and high level direction. And, you know, it's a very unique agency in that way, in the way that we have independent teams that work cross functionally very well on behalf of our clients. And this was the idea that was stuck in my head that I couldn't figure out how to get out. And I think it wasn't until, you know, we started to work with you and work more on the business that I was able to challenge myself and then for you to challenge me to think about, you know, what it really could and should look like and to get out of my own head and, and overcome some of my self-confidence, yeah. uh, you know, issues to, mm -hmm. to lean into my beliefs. Sure. You know, it's interesting when you're talking about, um, uh, starting this, this business, when do you think, how long, how long have you been a visionary? And, and am I one? When does that, how do you know? <laughs> well, that's what I'm asking you. Um, when do you think, like looking back, when do you kind of go, oh, that's when I started acting like a visionary? Or, you know, when did this start like bug of, I've got this idea for this business or a business or how a business should work or where an organization could go? Like when you look back over your career, do you see any places where that, germ or seed started to sprout for you? Uh, yeah, lots of places. You know, I started as a content person. I paid my way through college, you know, working on content, doing radio, TV, and print journalism, amongst other jobs. One, one semester I taught, for two semesters, I taught a history class, a supplemental oh. history class, which is that. content too, Yeah, you know, mm. just as much as the other stuff is. So I've always enjoyed and loved being around content. And when I graduated college, I had two degrees uh, in three and a half years. You know, yeah, I was there for like a job. Crazy. I had to get it done. Oh, man. That's and, uh, and I did. Yes. And, um, but, you know, my first job out of college was a full-time journalist. And, yeah. you know, again, back to the content. I don't have a degree in journalism. I just had a lot of hustle and persistence. And, um, you know, picked up some acumen for it along the way and enjoyed it a lot. Um, you know, I got to tell the story of this one kid. He was the center of a, a football team in, at Perry High School in central Georgia, and he was born with a, a, a disorder where his umbilical cord was wrapped around his, his legs, kind of right above the knee, and he was born. They had to amputate his legs from the knee down, and it was significant in the article because he was the center of the football team. And he had two titanium legs that his mom would drive two hours to Atlanta every week before the game to tighten them. Because they had to have like special tools and so forth to tighten. Yes. And the kid had the greatest attitude, and the mom did, and the coaches did, and the whole culture on the team mm. was driven by this kid just being unwilling to succumb to the circumstances that were handed to him. Wow. You know, so like those kind of things are sticky, you know, and I like that from a content standpoint. Uh, when I moved uh, away from Georgia and up to Ohio to be with my now wife, um, you know, I didn't have. I took a job as a, as a salesman. I don't know if I ever told you this. This is a horrible job. I don't, I don't think so. Horrible job. So my job was to be in a different market every week in Northeast Ohio and go cold call small business owners face-to-face -face 
and see if they'll buy a $150 ad for this poster that was going to have the football team schedule oh, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember I was four or five weeks into this job, and the guy, a guy at like an auto parts store said, how's this going to help my business? And I paused for a minute, and I said, I don't know that it is. I think it's going to be good for you know, the community and building community, but yeah. I don't think it's going to do a thing for your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so pony up, buddy. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Take one for the team. <laughs> he appreciated my honesty and, uh, and yeah. suggested that I take my idea elsewhere, <laughs> yeah. which I did. In no uncertain terms. No uncertain terms. Uh, but it's, it's just funny how life works. You know, I went and I was working a, in a, you know, the same week. I was in, it was in Brooklyn Heights, Ohio. And there was this big strip mall that had like a Goodwill store and like a bunch of other stores. There was one of those aging strip malls. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy there who was a cobbler, shoe cobbler. Mm-hmm. And I walked into this store and I, you know, with business seasoning, I, w- I should have been able to walk in and be like, this guy probably isn't like waiting to get rid of $150, <laughs> right. you know, for this ad. Right. Um, but he was an older guy. I mean, I would say he's probably in his eighties and his daughter was there running the store and I walk in and I'm in my suit that I've worn every day that week, you know, just trying to do my best and hustle and all that. And the guy goes, how old are you? Are you 24? And he had nailed it. And he said a couple of the things that he had nailed me. And I'm like, this is weird. And uh, he said, wait here. And he goes into the back and his daughter goes into the back. She comes out and says, he'd like to have lunch with you. You stay for lunch. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, because I was going to eat at the Pizza Hut again, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the same place. And so uh, I had lunch. His daughter made us lunch on the uh, For- George Foreman Grill. Oh, man. You know, so I'm sitting there having this conversation with this guy. I never even got his name. He had a thick accent. He was from, you know, the Eastern, Eastern Europe. region, Eastern oh, Europe. Yeah. yeah. And I'm watching the fat drip off this burger off the George Foreman answering this guy's questions. And I don't even remember exactly what we had talked about. But at the end of the conversation, as I'm getting ready to go, by the way, he also did not buy an ad. <laughs> As I'm getting ready to go, he goes, you know, I don't think what you're doing is what you're meant to do. Wow. And I think you should think about that. Huh. And is this, like, what is this, 13, 14? The uh, year? Yeah. This is 2004. Oh, wow. 2004. Okay. So I, I left that interaction and I went home. I wasn't yet married to, okay. to my wife, Tara. Okay. I went home and I just was in this like existential, you know, crisis. I don't know. I know what I'm doing now, like got me up here and being with her and building a life with her and a sense of community is what, you know, that's a big part of why I'm on earth because she's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm committed to that, but this vehicle (laughs) that I'm using along the side, you know, now I'm contemplating it's not the right thing. So I ended up quitting that job the next week with no prospects. So. I'm engaged. I have an apartment. I have bills and expenses. I'm going to be getting married later that year. I have no job. <laughs> Does Tara, so is Tara's parents, uh, what, was there a parental kind of like, hey, Tara, you know, you might want to reconsider this guy. <laughs> this guy's a loser. You, you know, know or, to her credit, maybe, if there was, she never told me. Oh, yeah? <laughs> For which I'm thankful if that did happen um but no i i you know i the gordon food service is part of my family Mm -hmm. 
And so I, I called my dad. And I just said, I can't do this job. It's wearing me down. I don't like it. Of being, you know, people they are saying, I like you a lot. I'm not buying the thing you're selling. And I'm like, what do I do with that? Hmm. Um, so he understood where, you know, where I was coming from. And he said, well, I'm going to call, you know, cousin Jim was the CEO of GFS at the time. I said, I'll get you an interview with there. And then, you know, whatever else you want to go, just work on getting interviews and, and hustle after it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, that I knew how to do. I knew how to work hard. Uh, so I ended up going on this interview with GFS and uh, wonderful people, wonderful company. Everybody starts at the bottom. Everybody starts in sales. Everybody goes and makes calls and unloads trucks and does all that stuff. And as I asked more questions about this, it was sales, which I just had a lot of head trash yeah. placed very firmly in my brain right. uh, for the previous role that I had just had. Yeah. So I wasn't sure how much I wanted to do that. And then the other part of it is you're going to have to move around quite a bit. And, you know, I'd moved, you know, by this time, that was move 13 getting me there. I had one more move I was still going to do, yeah. um, you know, and it was just, it's too much. I mean, I moved twice my senior year of high school. Yeah. I was just done moving. If I was going to be married and have a family, I didn't want to uproot them all the time. I didn't like that feeling, missing that sense of place and sense of community. I was pursuing that thing I never had. Yeah. And um, so I, I decided that GFS couldn't be the route that I went. And at the, around about the same time, I got a, an uh, interview with Malone Advertising, uh, downtown Akron. Mm-hmm. They were working on some car dealership accounts. And they really wanted to bring on an entry-level person, account coordinator. And so they threw 26000 bucks at me. And I said, okay. Sold. <laughs> sold. Let's do it. And this was what, 05, 06, somewhere in there? 04. Yeah, still 04. Okay. So I had this job. I mean, it, didn't, it took me a couple weeks to find something. I, it felt in my head like eternity. Uh, but it only took me a couple weeks to find something. But I, I started on this thing, and you know, it was. I walk into that place, and I'm like, "Oh, these are my people." Uh, you know, they're a little kooky. They're super intense. They really care about what they're doing. Um, you know, they're organized. They're trying to get better all the time. Wow, I, I, I like this. That's cool. Yeah, this I could do. And so I, I had left behind uh, journalism entirely. Um, and the irony of it is, like the third week I was there, because I'd won an, that article I was telling you about, I won an award from the Associated Press for it, and they, the award was delivered to me at Malone <laughs> for oh, wow, writing. Wow. And I was sitting there like on the account team, mm-hmm. and they're like, "What's that?" And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> I used to do this writing thing that I don't do anymore. Yes, you know, now I'm in the account world. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, a month or two into that, they got rid of their uh, car dealership accounts. <laughs> mm. It was a t- dealership group up in Toledo. They got rid of them because they had a chance at uh, doing one region of John Deere's eight regions for their commercial and consumer equipment business. Hmm. And so they said, we need, we need you on this. This is a much bigger opportunity over here than this. What I found out later is uh, we had pitched that whole business, that consumer and commercial equipment business, and lost to Footcone Belding in Chicago. Hmm. And because we were a small independent shop, they're a big, you know, conglomerate. We had lost to them because they know how to present well, those big fancy shops. Mm-hmm. And we were more uh, substance uh, over style. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had lost. But the president of the agency at the time, Fred Bidwell, had called up the head of John Deere Consumer and Commercial Marketing and begged him for, give us one region. You won't be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Give us one region. Let us prove ourselves. If we screw up, walk away. You're not going to hurt us, but I think you'll be happy. Give us a shot Hmm. at this. And in three months, we had all the business in the country. Wow. That's amazing. Super fun to be involved in that. Very formative. A lot of late nights. Yeah. A lot of late nights. 
So you went through a number of gigs, obviously, before you hit uh, your stride, well, the beginnings of Full Spectrum Marketing, which was 2015. Um, So you you hit Full Spectrum, you started growing. So how long... You started out, it was just you, right? Or was there a couple of... Well, couple yeah, of there was one guy that came over me, uh, with me from Zimmer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then there was a lady there who was receptionist answering the phones. Mm. Didn't even know she'd won an, a, a silver Addy for design. Wow. And so we're like, oh, that's cool, because we have a pitch next week. I'd lined a pitch mm-hmm. up before I even started the job. Yeah, that's great. And uh, we didn't even get a computer. I didn't get a computer to my, like, fourth day. Yeah. And so we were just behind the eight ball and just hovered around this, this uh, wonderful woman named Sarah Norman and put up with all my, mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, anxiety and yes. all that. And we put together a pretty cool pitch and went and delivered it on Monday and heard on Tuesday we'd won and... Huh. Uh, you know, kind of went on from there. But you were talking about what inspired me. So those are some of the stories that inspired me. But I picked up little artifacts along the way mm-hmm. of things. You know, I talked about, you know, at, at Malone, that like grit and determination to go after something. You know, that was not being afraid to ask for something. There's things I picked up from that, I think, that were good. Mm-hmm. Tons I picked up from journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, Inspired inspiring stories and yeah. just that notion of hustle mm. of you know not being afraid to be the guy to ask the question not being afraid to look dumb mm. uh all those things and i looked dumb so so many times <laughs> and i was dumb many many times uh many yes. times but you know sometimes yeah. asking those questions is what breaks sure. you breaks you through sure that's great so in 2015 you had one basically you and then a, a few uh, one guy came ran. from zimmer okay. yeah and then, and then a receptionist so how did you get from so what what so 2015 to when we met 2018? Mm-hmm. I think when we first met, you had if I remember right, like 12 maybe or something like that. Folks in the in the yeah, agency on staff. Yeah, it took a long time to to get to that. Mm. Um, you know the the vision was was I was pursuing it again, but not articulating it well. Mm-hmm. You know I knew that you know in education. They couldn't afford an, a marketing communications company. But I knew I loved working with education because they're wonderful clients. They need help. They know they need help. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't get that yeah. you know, from folks you're working with. It takes some time sometimes for them to realize that they even want or need help. Uh, and those folks came to us ready-made. Hey, whatever you need, whatever you want to suggest and strategize, our goal is you know, we need our community to think differently about us because they they're thinking one way and we're not able to tell our story so they can think about us the way that we see ourselves and so that was you know the kind of the high level challenge and i love that kind of stuff and so we've been hard at work at that and i love pursuing that i love helping with nonprofits, um, but it's hard to build a business solely around that and i had a lot of experience in business to business and so what matriculated over time was well we're, we're really good at business to business we know how to help these companies elevate their standard, their visuals, build them the right assets, sales tools, all that stuff. Education, community-level marketing, you know, which nonprofits and education both need, we, we knew how to do that. And so we figured out how to do both those things pretty well, and we just hired the people we needed along the way to help us execute those projects. Not unlike an EOS accountability mm. chart where you've mapped out all these different roles you need, and you just, you're in them until you can fill them. Uh, until the business can can stand it, hmm. and you know that's it took a long time to get to twelve. Hmm. Yeah. So we started hanging out in uh, eighteen, and then from 
then till now, you've uh, basically doubled, right? Yeah, we're 30, 31 hmm. now. So we're uh, doing our best, doing our best. <laughs> yeah. You guys are great at a number of things. Um, one of the things that you're specifically good at, and I don't always see this, but uh, you are a talented visionary. Um, and I would love for you to talk about what you feel like your role is as a visionary. What do you feel like is that unique spot that a visionary that somebody has to embody or, or stand up under uh, and what that looks like? Oh, it's a tough question. Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on how you define visionary. You yeah. know, for well, me... How, how would you do it? Seeing the thing that you think is needed that others don't. Mm -hmm. And I don't see it beyond that. It doesn't have to be grandiose. Yeah. And I, that was a trap for me for a while. I felt like I just needed a visionary so hard. Like, I needed to think of a really good idea. Um, but, you know, for me, what I found is there's plenty of room in the niche and nuance of this stuff. To chart a different path, you know, because I'd been on the agency side, because I'd been on the client side, I had built a, a, a war chest of experiences from there that I knew I wanted to do something different than how it had been done. You know, one example is when I was at Zimmer, I'd run an RFP for some uh, saw, saw blades and, and power equipment uh, business. This were in the orthopedic business, surgical equipment. So I'd hired an agency out of Akron. Um, to help with some of this. And they didn't have, they seemed to me to have the right kind of thinking, but they didn't have the experience of, of depth of experience in orthopedics and the healthcare market. So myself and another uh, colleague from Zimmer took it upon ourselves to educate them. And so we built one, a really fancy presentation. We put together a sawbones lab, you know, the kind of thing where it, you have saw bones, literally bones made of sawdust, compressed sawdust that it's put up on blocks and then we bring the power equipment the saw blades all that stuff and we literally teach them how to perform the surgical technique huh. for doing like the femoral recession and like just the components of of the surgery yeah. and there was a line of people out the door at this age they were so delighted we were there we put examples of saw bones up all over their big conference room hmm. and everybody was coming in we're teaching everybody they're doing oh it's so cool huh. and i got a bill the next week for fifty five hundred dollars for that so I had put together all the information, talked about market cap and opportunity and the global components and the U.S. components and where the, all the surgery centers were and where the hospitals were, orthopedic, you know, all that stuff. We taught them this. We gave it to them. And then we taught them. We got them hands-on with the equipment. And I got a bill for $5,500. And I challenged the, the company. I'm like, why did I get this bill? Well, that's our time. All we sell is our time. Hmm. And I thought, boy, that's... That's a broken model. Huh. That's a broken model. You sell expertise in units of time. So when you're demonstrating your expertise, that, as a client, I see value in. Huh. I don't see value of just you existing yeah. here and us yeah. talking about it. Not to say you're not a valuable person, but right. I have to go justify this expense. Yeah. I can't do that. I can't do that. So I paid it and fired him. Yeah. So it was a good, you know, but it was a good lesson for me. And again, something else I picked up along the way that thought, okay, thinking back, this is something I, I'm a visionary about. You know, I know the kinds of things that clients value, what they actually value. And that we need to put front and center because to them, that will feel like partnership. 
like we're actually working on the same things that we're supposed to be working on together at the same time. That is what partnership is about. And so I haven't heard anybody else articulate things that way, articulate that as a value. But that's, you know, again, like a nuanced thing I picked up that once you engage with us as an agency, you feel it. Mm-hmm. It's different. It feels different if you had agency experience before mm-hmm. in a lot of the right ways. But again, I think it's that just willing to, to ask that tough question of how do we prove our value every time we interact with a client? Mm-hmm. And if we're not, then, you know, that's probably a tough pill for them to swallow. So let's make sure we're imbuing more, yeah. you know, more partnership, more capability yeah. in everything we're doing. Yeah. One of the things I think uh, that you're, you're showing right now uh, as an effective visionary is owning the root or the core strategy. You know, the core, hey, here's what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the way that we, here's the thing we actually provide to the marketplace. Uh, and a lot of times there's this transactional ho-hum, you know, like, ah, well, you know, as a restaurant, what do we provide? Well, we provide great cheeseburgers. I was like, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's table stakes. Mm-hmm. Like that's gotta be there, but that's not really what we provide. What we provide is this great experience or we make people feel good or, you know, whatever. Um, and it, I think it's a visionary's job to kind of unearth and distill down that core strategy uh, and, and get everybody to go, oh, yeah, that's right. That is what we do, huh? And then you can start to slice and dice and chop and whatever, whether you're pairing off clients or going for better clients or different clients or making decisions around, hey, this guy Bob here has no idea mm. how to do what it is we do, we should maybe free them up, you know, for future uh, client work or some some other thing. Um, well, being on the client side, I, I experienced, because I had a bunch of agencies, because I've been on the client side two different stints. Mm-hmm. And there's so much just provincial thinking from agencies. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. everything that they know how to do, they've brought down on two stone tablets from mm-hmm. the mountaintop. Mm-hmm. And you're to follow it. And if you don't, well, you're the idiot. Yeah. And I hate that thinking. It is so arrogant and dumb. Mm-hmm. You know, so to your point, the challenge, I think, in part is also giving it language. What's the right language? And so for me, I mean, I'm, we have a new senior account person who started today. Very excited. She mm-hmm. comes with all the right experience, agency experience. She's perfect fit for this uh, client that we're working with. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, very excited about it. And the thing I left our interaction with is the thing you have to understand about FSM. We make marketing communication stuff that create business results. But what we sell and what we have to fulfill is a high trust collaboration. Mm-hmm. That is what we do. Yeah. We do high trust collaboration. Anything that chips away or erodes at that means we've made a mistake somewhere in our values. We made us make a mistake somewhere in our processes. Our systems need to be improved. Mm-hmm. Everything should be pointed to that. Yeah, I love that. That's great. So talk about your values. I was going to ask you at some point, what are these deep guiding principles that are at the center of your organization uh, that define who you are? Well, it's funny. They, they're all sort of values you pick up along the way. So I gave you a little bit of that career arc. And the people that I've been fortunate enough to work with for a long time have picked up on a lot of these same 
kind of attributes. And one is our vice president, you know, Andrew Houston, I've worked with for over a decade. And so, you know, as we have moved through the world together, um, there's certain things that we've picked up on. And the thing that I picked up on the most um, is, is just the value of a partnership and what a partnership actually feels like. Because a lot of times, and we hear this a lot, uh, oh, we're not looking for a marketing vendor right now. And I'm like, well, great. You shouldn't. Because mar- good marketing doesn't happen yes. you know, from a vending machine. You right, can't punch right. in like A1 and it's next right. to the mounds bar. You right. get your marketing right. strategy. Yes. You can't vend marketing. Yes, It requires partnership because we don't know what they know on the client side about their market, their industry, the nuance. We have to be open to that. We don't know that. But there's a good chance they don't know how to do what we know how to do. Right. And we have to walk with confidence in that. And the more that we blend our knowledge, point it at a business result that's effective for them at a fair value price, mm-hmm. then we're going to have a great long-term relationship. And that's part of what partnership is for us. We want you as a client for life. And if we screw that up, that's probably on us. There's probably something that we have failed at along the way that created that disconnect. But if we follow our values and our processes and our systems, we're going to have really strong client retention. That's why partnership is our number one core value. We also talk with partnership about delighting by serving. We measure delight at FSM. We have seven objective criteria for how we measure delight. We talk about them every Monday at our Monday meeting. We celebrate how much delight we created last week with an icon. We call them a green heartbeat. We got a poster made. We put the poster on the wall. Our goal this year is for 200 green heartbeats. We're right there. Mm. We're right there. We're getting real close to it, which is exciting. How many you got right now? Uh, I think as of Monday, it was like 187. Oh, that's awesome. So it's, it's getting really close. Yeah, we had six last week. Wow. You know, and again, they're objective criteria, so we can recognize them. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone reaches out to us for business advice that has nothing to do with what we do, mm-hmm. man, that's a green heartbeat. We know that we have a high trust collaboration. That's right. If they sign up for more work, if they refer us, if, you know, there's all these mm-hmm. things that we know um, that, that create that. So yeah. delighting by serving is really key. And then I talk about, you know, expectations management. I joke if I ever taught a college class, it would be expectations management because there's a lot of management classes, but nobody teaches you how to manage, set, and fulfill expectations. Hmm. And so we, are, we put intentional focus on that, that we have to do that. So that's all tied up in our partnership core value. But a lot of our other core values feed into that one uh-huh. and in part, I think, help create good partnerships. Our second one is clear communication. And uh-huh. part of my like game and goal whenever I get to have a conversation with a prospective client, I, I love to see how little I can say about FSM. My goal is to not even talk about FSM at all if I can help it. Uh-huh. What I like to do is focus 100% on them and understand everything about their business, their background, what drives them, motivates them, how the business is set up, why they think it's successful, what's coming next for it, what they're challenged with, what they've really done well, and get to know them, their passion behind it. And then at the end of the conversation, I'll say, all right, I'm going to take it back. I'm going to put it you know, into our thinking and our thought processes and come back to you with some ideas. And then that is the point at which I share, well, this is who FSM is, and these are our values, and this is our mission, our vision, and, and yeah. this is our team and our talent and what we've accomplished together. And, you know, so part of, that's why that clear communicator is our second value, and it starts with listening first. That's a way I can demonstrate it. Mm-hmm. I could say it all day, but I want to demonstrate it so they feel it. Yeah. I can tell you that there's a lot of times where relationships break down just where one in the relationship isn't feeling heard. 
And that could be personal relationship. It could be a business relationship. It could be anything. They're just not feeling captured that their thoughts matter or that they're even getting listened to. So we always have to communicate. And the other part of it is, you know, we guarantee same day or the latest within 24 hours response to every communication outreach you make Mm -hmm. to us. Now, there's times at agencies, you know, where I've been on the client side and I'll ask the agency question and... I, I can think of two interactions. Once I called and they said, you know, and every time you call us, we have to start the meter. Oh, come on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No, that didn't. Yeah. That wasn't good. <laughs> that wasn't good. Um, but, you know, and there's other times you email and you just don't hear anything back. Yeah. And, and you know, it, within a day or two, you can kind of understand it. But after that, it's kind of like, man, I must really not be important. Yeah. Right. So for us, we want to make sure everybody feels like a valued partner. So we have to make that guarantee in terms of how we communicate. That's why clear communication has to be a component of what we do. And there's just basic techniques for that. You know, hey, you told me this thing. I'm going to restate it and make sure I heard it. Did I hear it right? Yeah. Okay, good. You know, it doesn't have to be rocket science. You just have to make sure that people feel valued and heard. Mm -hmm. I love that. So that's, that's clear communication. Our next one is bold and honest. And I talk about bold and honest. Sometimes people mistake this one or they think it's, you know, being uh, the loudest, you know. Uh, But it's really not about that. It's about paying attention to the tension and then being willing to address it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because a lot of times people will sense tension and there's the the hope strategy that if I just ignore it, it'll go away. It works every time. It does not. It never works. (laughs) It never works. It never goes away. And it will come back at you like a three-headed dragon. You know, and it's much better to go, gosh, I'm sensing some tension in the relationship. Help me understand what we could be doing better right now. Mm-hmm. And if we can, to use your word, unearth that, mm. we're probably going to be able to resolve it. And if we resolve it, we're going to have a better partnership, which is the whole point. Yeah. So being bold and honest, you know, comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. You know, sometimes it's them going, hey, guys, you're missing the mark on the creative. And we're going, okay, we're going to stick with it till we get it, Right. And sometimes it's us going, you can't drive this timeline. It's not enough time for us to get this done at the level we all expect. And so we have to reset our expectations because I'm not willing to compromise on quality. Are you? We have to have those bold and honest conversations with each other. The ones that do, we have the best relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point. Yeah. So bold and honest is a huge, huge mm. part of it. Yeah. We talked too about um, being humbly confident. Mm in how we approach things. You know, again, we know what we know. We don't know what you know. And we're never going to have, you know, false humility. Uh, I think we all encounter people that love to lead with that false humility, thinking they've checked the box. You know, but it's really about this. It's about if I put your needs, Mark, ahead of my needs, there's a good chance you'll be reciprocal in that. Uh And if we're both approaching it with that amount of humility, we're probably going to have a good working relationship. sure. Because what you need matters to me. Yeah. And humility is the only way to achieve that. Yeah. Only way to achieve that. Putting others' needs ahead of yourself. Sure. And then our fifth value is, I think, your favorite, and it's one I like a lot. And one, you know, we can all get better at, and that's a, a word we made up called furiosity. Mm-hmm. And I love furiosity because there's, there's a couple things mixed up in this word. First of all, it's like a ferocious curiosity. Uh-huh. Ferocious being like, kind of like what Tom Petty was singing about at the beginning, right? It's, it's just, it's tenacious. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just getting after an answer because it matters to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and having that curiosity component, like we, got, we can't just see what it is. We, we have to understand why it's that way, you know, when it's relevant. And I've seen a lot of times, especially agency people, they have endless curiosity. 
And the problem with endless curiosity is that it's without end. Right. right. So it's kind of, you know, just yeah. meandering versus pointed at yes. a goal or an outcome. Yes. So curiosity reminds us to keep it pointed at that goal and outcome. And mixed into that has to be some grit. Mm-hmm. some persistence, some resilience, because you're going to hear or see more things that, you know, are roadblocks and challenges when you're pursuing something worthwhile. And, you know, curiosity exists to pursue things worthwhile. Yeah. So that's what curiosity is, all that mixed up. I love that. And I love that you're leading with in, in a sales context with this, or like an introduction, like, hey, this is kind of who we are as an organization. I think it's a huge deal. Well, what I tell people is if you're not wired like this or you can't accept this level of nerdery, then like we're probably not going to be great partners. And that's okay. I'm totally fine with that. But this is going to be how we approach things. And we're going to hold you to account on deadlines. And we're going to be bold and honest about it. And if you miss it, don't expect us to hit ours. We got to adjust the whole thing. You know, and and I'm okay with that. If they're okay with it, then I know it'll be a good partnership. Um, How many times have you... Well, so your your ideal client is what type of client? So there's three different types of clients we work with. Our mission is great work to do good. And so the idea behind that is we want to do great work for business-to-business organizations so we can discount our rates for uh, nonprofit and public education Uh because those are two organizations that need a lot of help and don't get a lot of help. Yeah, that's great. And they can't afford a shot the caliber of FSM typically. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make that accessible to them. Mm -hmm. So if you're on the business, business, we love talking procurement. We love talking to engineers. We love talking to buyers. Uh, We understand that market really, really well. It doesn't matter if you're buying tubes or hoses or ball bearings or uh, drive chains or light bulbs or (laughs) whatever it is. We just, we really, really love that market, love existing in that market Mm -hmm. um, and applying that knowledge. And then to take those best practices and hand them over you know, to education, to uh, nonprofit, there's a big value add, you know, for those folks as well, mm-hmm. which is, which is really key. So, you know, what we found is we work best. Maybe if you've worked with an agency before and it, it didn't work out or you didn't get what you wanted out of the relationship, we're really good at teaching you how to get the most out of the relationship and we're patient. We'll stick with you to learn it, mm-hmm. um, you know, which, which can be valuable and we deliver at a high level, you yeah. know, we, everything it's about elevating, and, um, you know, we're not going to compromise on that. You ever had a, um, a pitch where you're, you're pitching to a leadership team of some sort uh, and you, you end with these core values and they kind of look at you and go, uh, what, are, what are our core values? Do we have any around here, boss? You know, or <laughs> ever have anybody go, you know, come back with theirs? Um, we have not had a lot come back with theirs. We've had some people that at the end of the conversation go, do you guys help other people with that? (laughs) No, but we got this business coach. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and we do some stuff like that. We don't do it like you do it. Yeah. Um, but you know, we do some things like that because I think one of the things that people miss a lot is it doesn't matter how you get at your values. It matters how you operationalize. Sure. That's right. Sure. You know, it it has to be part of the organization, part of your DNA. It can't just be something you put on a poster and set on a wall and everybody walks by it every now and again and goes, yep, (laughs) there they are. Yep. (laughs) You know, like you like to say, Enron had integrity as one of its core values. (laughs) Right. right. You know, I'm sure it was plastered up on a wall. I'm sure. You know, and the CEO saluted it every day. Yes. (laughs) You know, Uh, no, it's, it's, they have to be part of, and if you can't operationalize them, it's, they're not the right right. values. It must not be how you actually are. Yeah. So that, that's a real important litmus test. Yeah. What are, I mean, talking about kind of 
business coaching and that sort of thing, if you were to have somebody come along and say, Josh, help me figure out, or how'd you figure out um, how to pick a business coach? Like, what should, what would you suggest to a, I don't know, let's say some company, will pick some gen- generic company, some $10 million business with 50 employees, and you're, you're doing their product launch marketing, some, you know, machine shop or something. And they're like, Hey, we need to pick a business coach. How would you go about doing that? What would you suggest they ought to look for in a, uh, in an advisory, well, business coach. So I do it through a conversation and I would explore for connection and contrast. Okay. So, which I think you can only get at in a conversation. Mm-hmm. But like one of the things I love about working with you is we do not think the same way. And I think a lot of times when people look for any partner or any facilitator, somebody that's going to be additive to their business, especially visionaries, I think fall in this trap a lot. They want to find somebody else that looks and thinks like them. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I had that catch where I was like, ah, you know, I really need somebody that thinks differently than me. Mm. Not because the way I think is so great, because <laughs> mm. it's not. Mm. I need somebody that's going to challenge it and see it differently and then be willing to point that out and hold me to account. Yeah. I know I need that. Mm. And so for me, we, you know, through our conversation over breakfast at, at uh, Akron Family Diner, plug, you'll never have yep. a dry cup of coffee. That's right. That's a great place. I love that place. Uh, you know, we were there for an hour and a half, yep. you know, and it was a really good conversation. And I could see that you think totally differently than me. Hmm. And I just had to hope I could afford you. <laughs> well, you did. You can. You do. <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> it worked out. Um, well, so what's your, if you were to look back, not to be too focused on what we're doing at Lodestone and all that, but what do you, um, what's your favorite Lodestone tool or Lodestone process or like, man, we love that one tool X. Yeah. We like smack a mm-hmm. lot. The tool you made mm-hmm. smack. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Because it, it changes how you think. And yeah. I will say we have adapted it. it we, it's more of a sm for us now. Okay. Yeah. You know, we don't get all the way yeah. to the k yeah. with the exclamation. That's, great. That's, that's maturity right there. Well, that's, sure. Uh, <laughs> well, you move right into, all right, here's what we're going to do about it. Boom. And, and fine. That's the, great. The key to it, the key to it is the difference between symptom and that, that move back, that changing the lens, yeah, that looking right. for the causality behind it. Yeah. Seeing those two things in relationship to each other. I mean, when you're with a good functioning team, yeah. the answers just kind of start to surface. Yeah. And then it's about picking them. Yeah, that's and great. So I, we love that tool. I mean, we use it in every single one of our operational teams. So we have a management team. We use it in management. We use it in leadership, Andrew and I. Mm-hmm. We use it on our account team, our web team, our digital team, mm. and our creative team. Yeah. They use it every week in their tactical. Yeah. And they talk That's their great. tactical 90-minute meeting, team meeting, where they go through their scorecard, and then they go through their issues and the things that they're working on and any kind of collaborations they want to have. Yeah. You know, So yeah. it's a huge, important part of our business. And because I'm keen, and maybe it's another visionary thing, you maybe would know better than me, but like we're all about optimizing. Mm. You know, not just for what we do for clients, but for ourselves. How are we getting better? Mm-hmm. Because if we're not getting better, I can't yeah. trust that that other group isn't getting better. Mm-hmm. So we got to push. We got to keep going. We yeah. got to keep optimizing. 
Well, I think that's a good visionary trait. And, and I have a lot, I see a lot of, I'm going to say, inadequate visionaries or visionaries that are distracted or maybe out of place in, in the wrong seat. Um, but to be able to say, oh, this is how we need to get better here or over there, or I see this gap or I see this place where we're inefficient or, you know, semi-proficient. Uh, and, and somebody's got pointed out, you know, and, and without, and that person that's kind of at the tip of the spear needs to be able to say those things. Oh yeah. My- uh, it, it kind of poignantly say those things. And, um, and I think you do that really well. So that's, that's, uh, and I see that, uh, often from you. The, the hard thing is to establish that standard and then reinforce the standard yeah, that sure. you have. Live it, right. And, and yeah, right, you, sure. and there's pressure on it. Yeah. I mean, you can't relax on it. Yeah. You can't modify it because then you lose a little bit of your moral authority as a leader. Yeah. Right. So you have to keep elevated too. Yeah. That's great. Uh, what sort of hard lessons have you learned? Doing None. This. It's all been easy, <laughs> it's all and I've never had an issue, and yeah. I don't even really know why we use Smack. Yeah. Um, super easy to run a business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. I don't even know where to start with this question. Yeah. I have made so many hires I should not have made, yeah. um, and, I, and I'm embarrassed by that because I, I, I really dislike screwing that up yeah you know just personally because it's people's lives and everybody matters mm-hmm. and you know you have such a responsibility you know when you're welcoming someone into a business that you're a part of their life now you know yeah. more than it's a career or a job i really view it that way they might view it as a job yeah. but i care too much to do that you know yeah. for me it's you know they've they've entrusted uh, their career to mm-hmm. to me and this company. They've entrusted their uh, you know ability to fulfill their life goals. They've entrusted their family. If we have mm-hmm. if we they're using benefits and all that stuff. I mean, all that is so 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 important. And I take that really seriously. And there was you know as we were growing, you know I've heard you say this too. Like that first like push in revenue. You know when you're a fresh business and you're out hustling. Um, you know hustling in the sense of like trying hard, sweating. You know. Um, you just make decisions and you're not following processes because there's so much that feels easier than it is. Yeah. And it's disarming. And, you know, I definitely was caught up in that trap where maybe, I mean, I was overconfident, had some hubris. Mm. I mean, like, well, I sold, you know, this sold and this sold and, you know, we're going about this, we're doing this thing. I know what we need next. Let's go get it. You know, I'm going to call them up. We're going to, you know, just meet together. Not even interview. You know, this mm-hmm. is going to be cool, more relaxed. We're just going to sit and talk for a little bit and, you know, see what you know, see what I know. And boy, we go way back and how about you start on Monday, yeah. you know, kind of stuff. Yeah, and, sure. and you end up doing that. And man, I, you know, part in the moment you feel like, I'm doing it. You know, I can't believe it, but I feel like I'm really climbing the mountain, you know, as a business leader. And then wham, reality (laughs) slams back down. And, you know, I so appreciate the humility and retrospect, but there's so many times where, you know, I've lost friendships over it. Uh Um, You know, people that I really thought would work out great. And I didn't do a good job or really know how to articulate exactly what I was looking for. So I wasn't mature enough in my thinking or understanding of what I was trying to do to welcome them in a useful way or even to assess if they were the right fit. Yeah. 
And I'm sorry for that. Yeah. You know, I just struggled with that for a long time. And, or getting caught up in somebody's extraordinary, you know, presentation skills yeah. or interpersonal skills yeah. and just getting, you know, sucked into that a little bit mm -hmm. and not being able to decipher, you know, if it was really going to be a good fit for the business or for the clients or for yeah. team or so yeah, forth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, for me, it was a lot of, of just learned and earned wisdom mm -hmm. on the hiring front. Mm -hmm. I've always been a process oriented person. I mean, the, the person I was talking about earlier that just started, she goes, man, you guys have a lot of processes. And I'm like, I don't think you'll find an agency with more processes. <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm proud of that. Yeah, you know, great. and I, I always say that, you know, amateurs have success on accident. Professionals have success on purpose. Mm -hmm. The reason is because they have processes. That's they right. can repeat it. That's right. You know, even if it's creative, they can repeat it. Um, but we didn't have all those right out of the gate. Yeah. What we have now is an evolutionary process by which we assess them and then bake them into our playbooks and mm -hmm. constantly revisit them and tweak them and yeah. put a focus on them and yeah. um, own them. There are people yeah. that own those processes. We have a process improvement committee. Mm. You know, it's, it's no joke. That's we great. really care about, uh, about doing that. Yeah. But again, that's more earned and learned wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. We seem, you know, like we're trying to get on a good path for it now. But, yeah. you know, when you spend time just trying to slap it together, yeah. For a long time, you go, man, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. <laughs> there's got to be a better way. And you start to unlock some of those things. Yes. Hiring is a huge deal. It, is, it has got to be the most costly, most uh, uh, risky element of the business, you know? Oh, yeah. and, and it is <clears throat> the most overlooked, I think, of, all, of the major components. You know, the, so there's the components like, well... We need to have this product, okay? Then we need to have some clients, okay? And then we need to figure out how we're going to deliver to them, okay? And then we need to figure out how we're going to collect the money and, and pay taxes and all that stuff and, uh, and maybe supply chain and, all, you know, there's, there's so many elements. Mm -hmm. But they go, oh, well, let's, uh, let's hire some people, you know? And it's just almost like this throwaway. And it's, um, it's a huge, I, you know, you've heard me quote this and I don't really know where I got this stat. I think it might be Tom Peters or somebody, but, um, uh, a bad hire costs you 10 times what you pay them. Uh, and it's, and it's, in, it's broken equipment. It's chasing away good talent. It's, uh, chasing away good clients. It's your time and other people's time. Uh, and then there's of course inefficiencies and all kinds of other stuff that goes into it. Uh, there's a startup time for, for, uh, for, for a person getting them onboarded, you know, and all that. And then there's the offboard time where it takes you a year and a half to get rid of them. Hmm. You know what I mean? And, and you add all yeah, that up. It's a huge, it's a huge expense. And I just don't see folks take seriously enough the primal or fundamental talent of getting good at interviewing and getting good at, at hiring, recruiting, interviewing, and decision-making, and then onboarding. Like that kind of, you know, you could call it like a six-month mm. period, right? Where you begin, you have your first conversation with somebody, and then and until you go, yeah, they're one of us now. And that could be a six-month period of time, you know, and and folks just don't, a lot of times business owners, operators will go, wow, we just don't have time for that. 
Mm. You know, like, what? you don't have time. I think you've got to make time for That's right. Yeah. That's right. They just don't see it clearly. So it's really cool that you're, I mean, it's no surprise that that's a, a, a big learning curve that you've mm-hmm. gone through. But it, you guys have, been got, have gotten better and better at uh, taking that really seriously, that oh, initial yeah. phase. Yeah, we a, put a lot into it. We put a lot into it. I mean, we've yeah. been fortunate enough to, to have you know, some folks come on board that really do help contribute to our culture. Yeah. And uh, one of those is, is the person, you know, uh, Megan Gallagher, who is our office manager. She is just tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, great culture person, just great person to hang yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. Just cool. She's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, she's cool. She, she coaches yeah. the Akron U yeah. dance team. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. You know, I can't do any of that. Well, uh, but she's, you know, she's the first phone call yeah. and she spends the time getting to know folks and assessing if they are really going to be a fit for our team or not. Yeah. Okay. So and I very like much a... trust her, you know, mm. with that assessment um, more than I trust myself, mm. you know, cause I've, I've made all those mistakes. And so I'm good at parts of it, but I'm not good at all of it. And I'm really trying to get better at it. Yeah. Uh, but now we have a process set up for it. That's pretty, you know, fundamental to how we bring folks on yeah. and you know that first conversation is a huge huge part of that that's great i love it what uh what do you see other business owners screw up you know so you're 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 coming in again this let's say it's this 10 million dollar business that you're pitching to uh and they're you know you're sitting around with your team some version of your team and you're looking at their business and they're like and you're thinking about yourself man, these guys are rough, you know, what, so what's a common issue that you see in other leadership teams? The biggest issue I see, I mean, amongst the teams or interacting with us, uh, amongst the team themselves, like in another team, I, what I see is the same hmm. is I see a trust allergy. Hmm. You know, there's something about when things get trusty, hmm. there's something about it that doesn't land all the way that to me is always a red flag because that tells me we're going to have a really hard mm-hmm. hill to climb so you see that they don't trust each other mm-hmm. yeah if they don't or if they do i see that too yeah. and those are the folks man i can't wait to work with them mm-hmm. because i know it's going to be a great relationship that's great but a lot of it has to do with assessing trust mm-hmm. seeing how much they trust in each other how they collaborate as a team mm-hmm. are we meeting with just one person or are there multiple people involved are their role is their role definition clear can can I easily see and can they easily see what they own? And if yeah. I can easily see what they own, then that means they have, you know, good leadership happening at that company. And so, you know, little cues like that yeah. all lead to trust. Yeah. Because if, if a team does not have that, they're going to be really hard to work with. You're going to have politics. You're going to have, you're going to have people not rallying around the goal, the whole point of working together in the first place. Yes. You know, and so you're going to be dealing with a lot of distraction mm. from that. And that, I just don't have any time for. I can't stand it. I hate it. <laughs> it drives me insane. All I want to do is achieve the goal. Yeah. That's what I want to do. And if there's anything that's a barrier to that that is silly and superficial and egotistical, yeah. it drives me insane. Hmm. Yeah. That's but great. fortunately, I've never encountered a business with anybody with ego. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's not a problem, is it? <laughs> Yeah, what is it that I mean? Why? Why is it? Pardon such a, my sarcasm. I don't think it translates well. It was very thick. 
<laughs> why is it such a big deal? I mean, it's a huge deal, but why? Um, why is it so prevalent? Do you think this ego thing? Hmm. That's a tough question. I think people want to feel successful and they want to be seen as successful, especially if they're at that leadership level, mm. that there's something about, they have to establish their bona fides and be seen mm. a certain way. Mm. And, you know, I don't, I mean, you, you're going to get seen how you get seen. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather for myself, at least just authentically and sincerely embrace all of my deficiencies. Mm-hmm. And if you have the time, I'll list them. You know, I don't have a problem with it because I'd much rather you go into the conversation with open eyes and ears and be able to see me for who I am. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of having flaws. You know, I'm risk averse, sometimes to a fault. Mm -hmm. You know, I have self-confidence issues wrapped up in that risk aversion. You know, sometimes I, and I need people, you know, surround myself with people that are going, take the chance. It's worth it. Take the chance. You know, like Mark, you helped me with that a lot. You know, Dan on our team at FSM helps me with that a lot. He's saying, nope, the numbers make sense. Let's do it. Mm. You know, I, I get, I need that. That helps me um, get out of my own head a little bit. Mm. So to me, it's the more you know about yourself, the more flaws, the more exposed you are in that way, you know, it can really work to your advantage if you're surrounding yourself with the right people. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of, you know, not everybody is ready. Their, their you know, relationship arc with full transparency um, you know, it's, they're on a different part of it maybe. And I'm certainly not all the way through it, but sure. you know, th- I think there's a willingness to just feel a little bit exposed and you really are as a leader. Anyway, people are looking at you and everything you're doing, you're setting the tone for everything. So, you know, you may as well take away their pot shots before you, <laughs> you screw up and hand it to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you, um, if you were to hand a business or let's so you're sitting at the $10 million business mm-hmm. meeting and, uh, you know, Bob, the owner, and I don't, let's say his wife is the controller. And, uh, and then, and his, so this is a machine shop, typical machine shop. And so his daughter is, uh, head of sales, let's say. And then there's this guy, Fred, that's the ops guy. Um, and you're there, you're making a pitch to them and you could tell that they're, a hot mess, uh, no trust, even though they're all related and so forth. Um, lack of clarity, who owns what, nobody knows. It's, uh, you know, it's seven-year-old soccer time. Everybody's chasing the ball all around the field. And you say to yourself, I'm going to hand these folks a few books because they need some, they need to kind of get a little clarity, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what would you suggest to that? leadership team as a couple of primers, if you will, or a couple of, I don't know, rich, uh, and, and you've heard me say this, you know, epiphanies are costly, but the, you know, the wise find them for half price. Mm-hmm. And a book's a great way to get a cheap epiphany, mm-hmm. you know, where you're like, oh, this, that's how you do it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how you quit screwing that one thing up. Uh, so what are some, what are some primers that you would kind of pull out of your back pocket, if you would, to that? person of that leadership team would you kind of throw out on the table boom 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 oh man i gotta cycle through the library in my brain right now 
Well, one thing that for me helped my career a lot, and just me personally a lot, is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Mm -hmm. And I think that one gets overlooked a lot Mm. because it's sort of almost so ubiquitous that you can hear people's eyes rolling when you mention it. Sure. But the truth is you ought to read it every couple years Mm. and retrench in it because, man, there is some good stuff in there. And I will tell you that, you know, um, habit number five... Mm put me on a different career path because I was an arrogant, know-it-all jerk Hmm. for a lot of my, you know, early career because I'd had a little bit of success, you know, figuring a couple things out and I just thought I had it all figured out. So I'd be talking over people in meetings and, you know, doing all, and man, I just needed to, I needed more humility. Hmm. And uh, habit number five, you know, seek to understand before being understood Mm. Um, really helped me because I, I also struggle with I think a little bit of ADHD. I found out recently that two of my kids mm. um, have it, and uh, according to mm. uh, according to others, um, that is a <laughs> male gene. Uh, so I and, yeah. and I see what what my my youngest and oldest are like their journey is, and I'm like, oh man, like I remember that, <laughs> like I've been through that. I know what they're mm. feeling right now. Um, so, you know, for me, that gave me permission yeah. to pause, hmm. think, ask, hmm. uh, take notes. Hmm. I didn't have to speak in the moment. Hmm. I had to make sure that I had clarified and understood what was being communicated before I needed to make sure that my point got across. Hmm. Because there may be something in your head that I'm jamming my point down your throat and you're going, is dead on arrival. Hmm. And I wouldn't have known that unless I'd stopped and paused. And so there's just like nuance in there in that book. It's so good. But that habit, I mean, it did change Hmm. my career. Hmm. It changed how I thought about things. And I'm still trying to get good at it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough one. I struggle with it, but it's worth getting good at, I decided. And so I try really hard at it. Yeah. Um, so that that's a good book. I also, you know, I'm a history guy, and I really like this book by, I think it's by Thomas Fleming, um, Founding Brothers. Hmm. It's about the Revolutionary War, and there's 10 different, like, vignettes, chapters in there that examine more deeply 10 perhaps overlooked parts of aspects of the Revolutionary War. And what I like about it, why I'd hand this book to a team and say, read it. Well, one, it won a Pulitzer Prize. Uh, B, have a dictionary next to you. You're probably going to pick up some vocab Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it's really kind of Mm. thickly written, like the Mm -hmm. language is thick. Um, But it's worth worth wading Mm. through uh, because you get understanding about role clarity. Mm. If you have role clarity Mm. on as a lens... When you're reading that book, you're going, oh, I kind of get why that person did that. And I kind of get why that person did that and why they couldn't both do it. Yeah, that's you know, that's uh, really you probably picked that up from Team Arrivals, mm-hmm. which, you know, you guys read, mm-hmm. too. But, you know, you, you think about Washington and Hamilton and their relationship. Mm. You know, Washington was like, I got all this stuff to say. We have to get all this funding from Congress. They keep cutting our funding. I got my army running away. We got to keep them here. Mm-hmm. I, the only way to keep them here is to promise them more money. And I can't get more money because I need somebody that's going to help me bridge this gap. I'm going to call in. Alexander Hamilton. And Alexander Hamilton was known as a prolific writer. And so he was writing and advocating to Congress to get funding, which he secured. Mm. 
And then you read like Washington's farewell address. Mm -hmm. And Washington's farewell address, I mean, it's so prescient. We should still read it every year this year as Americans. Because the issues and ideas that we're struggling with right now, he knew then. Yeah. And he articulated it better than anybody has since. Mm. But that was thought of by Washington, written by Alexander Hamilton. Mm. And it's really well articulated. Mm. But it's fun to see the role clarity there. You know, Washington is this visionary guy. He doesn't know how to put clothes on the invisible man. Mm. Hamilton did. And, and Hamilton changed so much of how we think about ourselves as a country as a result of that. Yeah. Hugely powerful stuff. So those are just like two different vignettes. Mm. But if you read each of those through this lens of, you know, what is the right role? Do I have the right roles figured out? Do I know what I own and others own? And are we playing well together? Um, it you see that in, in revolutionary time, most important time in our amazing country's history, you know, they, some of them, they got it right and some of them they didn't. Yeah. And when there was confusion, you know, it went wrong in a big way hmm. at Weehawken, New Jersey. Hmm. <laughs> this is a little teaser. So I like, I like that book a lot hmm. for that reason. I've read that book several times, uh, but you know, through different lenses. Yeah. Another book I like a lot, there are two other books I like a lot, but one book I like a lot is, is called Crossing the Chasm. And the author's name is escaping me in this moment. I blame this very delicious rum. Uh, but um, this book, Crossing the Chasm, it's like getting a master. It's like getting an MBA because huh. it's all about how to build a business. Huh. And the whole idea of it is to study the adoption curve and then identify where the gap is in the adoption curve. When you get a lot of people super excited, but it's just not catching because there's this chasm, and you have to figure out how to get across that chasm as a business and then you'll ramp up the adoption curve and you get to the top and then you'll get down to the other side and build your laggard pool right mm-hmm. but it takes some time you there's this critical moment you have to win and that's identifying discerning building a plan for executing a plan to get across that chasm mm. i really really and it's kind of a silicon valley thing mm. you know uh, but yeah. it's broadly applicable to any kind of business or organization uh, so I, I like that one that's I like great that one. i haven't heard of that one i have to uh, put that on my queue Oh, and the Founding Brothers. I've heard you talk about it before, but I've got to bump that up. Not from a business uh, context? View. Yeah, I love it. I think, it's, I think it's a really powerful idea. In the Seven Habits, um, we get rocks from that. I think it was Habit, habit Three. Uh, hmm. Highly effective people have a habit of... Uh, Setting goals? Well, they have a habit of creating, uh, p- p- taking, separating the urgent from the important yes and they put the important up front and they make the urgent serve the important Mm -hmm. uh and they get those sorted out and that's just a habit of theirs and he coined that phrase rock from Mm. this illustration he does yeah i talk about that a lot because you know that's one of the i talk about that relationship between urgent and important a lot yes because boy it's in our business because it's a service business that's goal oriented with a lot of people that are frenetically trying to achieve the goal. Mm. And so every time they reach out to them, it is important. Yeah. We also have a host of pre-planned important stuff that is in our schedule for the day. Yes. And so we have to balance, well, what is, you know, what is valid and urgent? And then if it isn't urgent, but it is important, how do we convey that in a bold and honest partnership-oriented way? So we're still seeing it as this is good for the strategy, it's good for our partnership, and we're not saying no, we're just saying how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's great. Those are great books. I'm glad you. Uh, I'm glad you teed those up. We'll have to. Uh, we'll definitely have to get those. Those other two. We have Seven Habits. Yeah. No doubt about it. Well, um, I love. Uh, I always love talking with you about your business and about your kind of wins and losses and where you're going. And you know, I think you're doing a great job at this business operations visionary thing. <laughs> I appreciate that. So. Um, and it's so hard. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, so hard. it is. It's ridiculous. It's, uh, it's, uh, well, one of the things that's hard about it is the, um, incessant pull of complexity, the incessant, like, uh, it's like, it's like complexity is just spilling out of every pore of this thing. Yeah. And to fight that with simplicity and to just keep creating very crisp, foundational, uh, structural, skeletal truths about who we are, where we're going, why we're doing this, what it is we do, how we're going to execute, you know, and you've done a really good job of taking this stuff seriously and turning it into day in and day out steps. And uh, you and Andrew both have done a fabulous job of that. So. Yeah, it's about like I say, it's about operationalizing it. There's no yeah. point in doing it and going through the exercise because it just if it makes you feel better in that moment, yeah. what's the point? Yes, you know what's yeah. the point? You have to operationalize it and make it part of yeah. how you approach things, and you don't always have to know the ways to do that. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I'll, I'm saying that from the vantage point of having done it for FSM with you, and you know, huge. I remember being in the room <laughs> at Lodestone mm-hmm. when Furiosity kind of hit us like a big eureka in the face. That's right. And man, it was, it was awesome. I mean, that was a great moment. Um, but it, you know, it helped us form this idea too, that, um, this is a really hard kind of business to scale. Mm. If you think back to where, you know, we started and kind of where we are now, people don't scale these kind of businesses. Usually what happens with a marketing communications company, it's a creative or digital person. Somebody's really good at a thing and they get so good at doing that thing and then so good at doing that thing on the side that they decide to have another agency. They decide to make an agency. Well, I have a few more clients and they get so many clients they can't handle it. And so they get a, they hire somebody out of college and they don't really know what to tell them to do. Just do the stuff I don't feel like doing, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever it ends up being. And that's how most agencies kind of evolve and develop. And they, they, they don't scale. It's a really hard thing to scale. What's easier to scale, I mean, easier, not easiest, but easier to scale is if you know the product you make, it has high demand and it's the same. And you can talk about how do we make this thing better? Mm -hmm. How do we make it for a little bit less? How do we make it stronger? How do we, you know, you're always optimizing and evolving that thing. What we make is connecting people with information, which is, so not only is like that hard because we have to understand people. But we also have to understand how people consume information, which changes all the time. Mm-hmm. Sure. So our product is constantly changing. The people are constantly changing. Mm-hmm. So it, when I, I, I joke, I say I joke, but I'll confess to you, it's not really a joke. You have to be a special kind of weirdo mm-hmm. to work in a marketing communications yeah. business. You yeah. just do. Yeah. And that's okay. Fly the flag. Yeah. I'm sure. weird. Yeah. I'm cool with it. Yeah, sure. You know? And guess what? All of our clients are cool with it too because there's a reason we're around. Yeah. You know, we care about the things that sometimes folks don't care about. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah, a lot of these businesses have this this strange, like, mysterious place where they live. You know, think about restaurant work. Mm. 
You know, who in their right mind so would hard. say, we're going to make this, am- and you got to make amazing food. Like, you can't just do okay mm-hmm. at it. You know, because every it's, everybody's got a, an ability to go, ah, yeah, this is junk. You know, I can go down there and get better for half. Uh, I admire any service. restaurant with the guts to have chicken on the menu. Yeah, that's right. You know, because yeah. if you're making, I can make chicken, and I'm a horrible cook. Yes. So if you have chicken on the menu, yeah. and I'm paying you 25 bucks or 15 bucks or whatever to have chicken, like, I'm expecting a chicken yeah. experience. You better, you better crush it. That's right. <laughs> you know? That's and, right. And, and a lot of times you get it, and I, yeah. I marvel at that. Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, uh, we're going to have you back here for, uh, what is it, episode, what do we say, 29, mm-hmm. I think it is, talking about the book Grit, Angela Duckworth. You're going to be chiming in on your observations about it. We're super excited about that. Growing from um, the outside in. Growing grit from the outside in, I yes. think, is your, uh, your, your task. Part three of the Part book. Part three, yes. that's right. What a cool book. Oh, man. It's so I'm good. loving it. I'm, so I'm through, my second pass through it, I'm almost done for take two. I'm going to do take three for sure. Are you getting other people to take that the test? I am. Uh, I did it with my wife. Uh, Shane and I, of course, have taken it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one of the one of the takeaways with the test is you have to really be aiming at a particular uh, endeavor. Like perhaps if you say running a business. Okay, so when it comes to running a business, now take the test from that context, uh, or. Uh, because there are a lot of ways that I quit stuff all the time. You know, I'll get a great idea and I'll mess with the idea. And then I'm like, ah, I shouldn't be doing this. Mm. And I'll quit it and I'll move on. And so when I tried to answer, well, do you quit things off? I'm like, actually, yes, I do because they're dumb, (laughs) you know? And I want to try things often and quit them often until I come up with the one thing I should be doing a lot of. And then I don't quit that one. You know, so uh, so you do have to have some some focus uh, when you take the test or, or a context. Mm. Um, but uh, that anyway. makes sense, though. It's not universal yes. to everything in life. Because if yes. you approach your marriage, for example, the same way you approach building a business, right. you would yeah. probably be right. divorced. Yeah, that. Yep, that may not work out real well. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're excited to have you back for that. And, uh, of course, we're excited to have you back any old time. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Love you, brother. Oh, shucks, man. Shucks. Love you, man. <laughs> I tell you, you know. Tee up our uh, outro. Yeah, go ahead. I, I never, like, uh, it's just, I just so appreciate you. You know, I was talking, I, I teach a fifth grade uh, class at my Sunday school, and I was teaching them the difference between thankfulness and gratefulness. And how like thankfulness is a feeling. You feel thankful, right? But grateful is you show that you're th- you're grateful. It's an action. You know, one's an emotion, one's an action. You know, and I I feel like I feel thankful for you a lot, and I don't reach out enough and text, and or call or do something like that because the way you you twist my thinking up and challenge me, man, I love it. Yes. And sometimes I leave here and I'm mad <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm, you know, frustrated and I feel yeah. stuck. And yeah. then, and then I just think about it a little bit more yeah. and I get yes. some more feedback and input and I'm like, dang it. You know, like, I'm really glad, you know, I was challenged on that. And the way you challenge is not to break anybody down. Yeah. It's to elevate them and lift them up and help them be at their best. And I really am grateful for that because there's very few people 
uh, I think especially too, you get into a certain world in, in business where you're leading something and you don't always get everyone's uh, full honesty. Um, and I do from you mm. and I value that great, a great deal. Well, thank you. I'm humbled. I'm, uh, and it's been a great ride. I'm looking forward to another four to 40 years <laughs> i don't know i'd be 94 if we're still doing this 40 years i from think now, you'd, so. you'd still have an insight in there you might repeat it 80 times during <laughs> might, a meeting i might <laughs> and we finally I'll, got it yeah <laughs> right. i have to take a potty break every half hour like <laughs> <laughs> my bladder's acting up again yeah I'm but think what you could <laughs> charge man you could charge oh wow yeah <laughs> cha-ching <laughs> but i wouldn't care no yeah where well, are you gonna spend that it's great working with you buddy and looking forward Likewise. to more of this so Likewise. Cheers. Next time. Cheers. Clink. White. Mm. It's a great track. I know. I love this. This is Jeff Lynn producing. Jeff Lynn from ELO. Really? Yeah. Yep. Doing a bunch of background uh, vocals. I was going to say, I, the harmonies are very ELO. Yeah. And he also produced uh, and was a member of uh, Traveling Wilburys. I don't know what that means. Traveling Wilburys? That's the. Uh, oh my god. That's the. Okay. Uh, it's not like I just said I've never seen Star Wars. Okay, that was. You know. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was uh, Roy Orbison, um, Tom Petty, Jeff Lynn, um, Her- uh, George Harrison, and, oh and Bob Dylan. What? Supergroup. Supergroup, no yeah, and no. they did. They they just got together at George Harrison's house. Jeff Lynn calls up Tom Petty. Hey, we're going over to George's to play some stuff. You you want to come? So like, yeah, sure. And then Dylan shows up, and uh, you know, I mean, and they just they just start hacking out these songs and having a great time. And like, we should oh, record man. this stuff. So uh, traveling Wilburys, I think it was eighty eight, eighty nine, yeah. somewhere in there. And then they ended up making two or three albums. Roy Orbison dies. No so you're like going great school. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't listening to, uh, <laughs> right. you know, but I had this comment the other day for, uh, I was talking to my mom, because you know, growing up, driving around, doing errands with my dad on the weekends, yeah. we'd be listening to oldies, because yeah. he loved the oldies. So I know Roy Orbison yeah, and some yeah, of yeah. And I, you know, value what that, what that meant. That music yeah. was about, you know, 30 years old at the yeah. time when I was yeah. listening to it. So... My kids now, and I'm, you know, I'm like, hey, you guys should listen to like Nirvana and Pearl Jam right, and right. Soundgarden. These are yeah. the music of my youth, you know. Right. right. Uh, and, uh, and I'm like, oh dang, that's 30 years old. Yeah. That's the same age as the oldies I was listening to yeah. when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, that's, that's How they must it. view me yeah. is yes. probably the same. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you're like, oof. Hey, you know what? I, I I like it all. Yeah, you know, but I will say that you know Rudy Valley and and Kurt Cobain don't sound the same. No, 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 they don't. <laughs> yep. All right, buddy. Cheers. It's good a wrap. Job. It's a good good session. That's a will wrap. That's a wrap. Delicious. I want to go listen to Tom Petty so much more now. Man, I never would have thought of that song. Mm, yeah, I love that song.